Welcome back to another season of the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelions.com, and this year I am joined by the one, the only, Kelly Ford of K Ford Ratings. Perhaps you've seen him on Twitter, and if you haven't, you need to go follow him. Kelly, what's going on, man? Hey, Brett. Excited to be here. Uh, excited to be part of the team at thelions.com and being on the College Football Podcast with you. It's August. We got college football right around the corner. It's this month. Uh, we did one Power 5 preview already. We've done all the Group of 5 previews. I'm excited to keep this thing rolling. Um, college football, the start of the season, it's the best time of year, and I just can't wait. Yeah, same here. I, I the uh, ESPN dropped their like hype video with the Post Malone song, and as soon as they release that, and as soon as you start seeing the Home Depot commercials and the, uh, the Aflac commercial and stuff like that on TV, you know college football is right around the corner. I'm getting amped for this, and I'm really excited for today. Because I am breaking down a conference in which we both live in the geographic footprint of. It's the Big Ten Conference. We're going to be talking some of my bets, some win totals, coaching changes. You know, I have a lot less action in the preseason on the Power Five than I do on the Group Five. Because Group Five is not as sharp. And I think there are way better numbers in the Group Five than you can find on the Power Five. Especially with teams like Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State. Which sportsbooks release earlier than the Indianas and Maryland's, etc. Really quick, I need to put my biases to bed here. I need to admit them openly because you've seen Ohio State jersey over my shoulder. Perhaps you've seen another one over here on other episodes. I have changed it Woo, per, uh, per requests. I'm an Ohio State fan, but we are going to start with Michigan. And I think I'm going to put my Ohio State biases uh, to bed really quickly. But I do want to start with Jim Harbaugh suspended the first four games. However, Michigan is never under my projection to my my estimations they're never under a 30 point favorite in these games so i bet over 10 and a half wins uh i think michigan is really good they returned 15 starters they again raided the portal to build a stud offensive line two-time uh joe moore award winning unit that may be in line for a third number one in the conference number two nationally according to phil Steele. i respect his unit rankings i think he does a terrific job with those they add three players in their top six here uh, and Zach Zinter, all-American worthy player. Um, but let's let's get aboard the J.J. McCarthy hype train. Or I should say everyone's been getting aboard this hype train because he's getting a lot of draft, NFL draft, first overall buzz. I- I'm not there yet. I think he's very good, but let's not project a Joe Burrow-esque jump because I he was quoted as saying, well, I'm trying to be better than Mahomes and Josh Allen. I appreciate the competitor in him on that, but people are like, wow, did you see that? Look at that. He's going to be better than Josh Allen. No, no, let's let's relax. I think Michigan has the best backfield in the nation. They return Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards. I think that is a clear top running back room. Uh, and that's tough because Big Ten has a lot of really good running back rooms. Uh, the receivers are pretty good, but I think that's the weakest uh, unit of the entire team. Their top returner, Cornelius Johnson, 500 yards, six touchdowns last year. Let's see if they can actually have a, a dude step up here. On defense, they add Josiah Stewart. Just dominated at Coastal Carolina. His numbers regressed over the course of a couple of seasons because teams are like, hey, wherever Josiah Stewart lines up, we're running the play the other way. We're we're just not going to run at him. Uh, He looked terrific in spring. Uh, He was dominating this offensive line. Again, really good. So in my estimation, I think Michigan should be the favorite in this conference. My numbers slightly favor Ohio State, but looking at roster construction, continuity, plus the opposing styles for that Ohio State game, which I think favor Michigan, I think I do lean the Wolverines in this in this conference. What do your numbers suggest? Yeah, Brett, I don't blame anyone for giving Michigan the edge over Ohio State coming into this season. Um, the Wolverines have beaten the Buckeyes two years in a row, 
They've won the Big Ten Championship two years in a row, and they made the CFP two years in a row. So based on results, Michigan owns the Big Ten right now. It's pretty indisputable. But in the preseason, we're looking forwards, not backwards, which means I'm looking through my predictive lens and my predictive model, and my predictive model at this point is favoring Ohio State by about a field goal over Michigan, even though that game is in Ann Arbor. So that doesn't mean that I don't think Michigan's a really, really good team. I do. In 2021, the Wolverines finished the year power rated number four in my model. Last year, they finished number five. And coming into this year, I have them power rated number four again behind only Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. If you take out the 2020 COVID season, Michigan's finished the year power rated outside the top 12 in my year-end power ratings only once since 2015. And that was a number 22 ranking in 2017. So this is a very, very strong program under Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I, I wouldn't count that 2020 COVID season for anything. That it's, you know, it's it's hard to throw it out. I know that you've been working on contextualizing how to use those numbers during the COVID season, but yeah, I, I would throw that out. Uh, I think their biggest advantage here is their strength of schedule, 53rd uh, nationally that I put them at. Uh, Florida State, Michigan, Georgia, Penn State, they're all playing some advant- advantageous schedules this year. Michigan's non-conference. Uh, well, actually, their first four games that I mentioned, they're, they're never shorter than a 30-point favorite. East Carolina. UNLV, Bowling Green, all at home, Rutgers, uh, they should win those comfortably. However, there has been some sharp money on East Carolina on the point spread. So if you want to look at some of these wild point spreads and and maybe bet opposite that, yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, But it's not like they're going to lose any of these games. Their last three games of the season, at Penn State, at Maryland, and then turn around and host Ohio State. I'm not calling for a Maryland upset, but when you sandwich a pretty talented Maryland team playing at home in between at Penn State – and the game, that could be an interesting spot. Yeah, it could. And I've got the Wolverines projecting as a top 10 offense and a top 5 defense nationally. You mentioned it. They have the easiest schedule of any team in the East Division, largely because of that non-conference slate that you mentioned. But for me, it isn't just the non-conference. Talk about the Rutgers game. Well, after that, it's at Nebraska, at Minnesota, home to Indiana, at Michigan State, by and home to Purdue. For my numbers right now, it's more likely than not that Michigan starts the year 9-0 and through that stretch before heading to Happy Valley in Week 11, then getting Maryland on the road and closing the year at home um, against Ohio State in the game in, in, in Week 13. So given the relative ease of the schedule, there's very little margin of error, I think, um, for Michigan this year. They're probably going to need to have at least 12 wins on Selection Sunday, which that could include a potential three-peat uh, in the conference championship game to have a chance to make the four-team playoff. If if they lose a regular season game and fail to make the Big Ten championship, or if they you know go 12-0 and and then lose in the Big Ten championship, it's probably less likely there. But if they're 11-1, and not playing in the Big Ten championship, I think that, that non-conference schedule and, and their overall strength of schedule is really going to come into, into uh, focus for the committee, and they'll be scrutinized for it. So they have a small margin of error, um, but that comes with playing the schedule that they're playing and being a 30-plus point favorite in multiple games this year, as you said. Yeah, g- given the returners, we talked about who's coming back, but they're also one of 26 teams to return the head coach, both coordinators and quarterback. We're talking the strength of schedule, the fact that they handle the rivalry game at home. I think it comes down to a little bit more than numbers for me. When you look at, you know, Ohio State may be power rated three points better on the road, but I really think that the scheme that Michigan runs and the physicality and the fact that they've beaten them the past couple of years, you know, I, I think that may make up for that three-point spread. You know, that that's an edge that I would consider. 
I'm also a firm believer in having somebody's number. Now, if people just go ahead and just turn this off after that, fine. But I am a, I am a firm believer in, you know, you just know how to beat somebody. Your team matches up well against them. You know what you need to do to go out there and win. And Harbaugh's shown that against Ryan Day. He, he just has. You, just, you cannot lose twice in a row if you're in Columbus because the, the, the saying in Columbus is like, if you don't beat that team up north, it you know, you don't matter. I think they're more physical in Ohio State. The big house is going to be just ridiculous for that game. Uh, maybe tag it with a game of the century that they did in, uh, what was it, 06, I think it was, when they played that previous game of the century between the two. Uh, that game's going to be just terrific because it's going to be fighting for a playoff spot. But yeah, if, if I had to gauge today, I think we sit on opposite sides of the fence here, but I would favor Michigan. It sounds like you would favor Ohio State. So let's talk about Ohio State. Uh, the FPI is flawed. I do consider it slightly. I weight it low, but I do consider it in my power ratings. They give Ohio State an 88.2% chance to make the college football playoff. That's, that's a bit high, right? It's, it's way too high. I was surprised, Brett, when I saw that. I, I have Ohio State with a 53% chance to make the playoff. And, I mean, saying it's more likely than not that they will – when we've seen what's happening in Michigan last year. Now, last year, they still got into the playoff and gave Georgia a great game. So, put that where it is. But losing to Michigan last year is not playing the Big Ten Championship last year. Even at 53%, I'm like, yeah, that's what the numbers say. But, man, I, I got to start seeing it again. You said Harbaugh's got Day's number. Maybe he does. I will I will defend FPI. I do think FPI is a very good metric. I know it takes a lot of heat on social media, and people like to laugh at it. I think when you look at the results of it in terms of absolute error and the record against the spread and all that stuff, I think it's a very respectable metric. Um, I'm not here to pump FPI, but I do think it's worth saying that I I follow it and use it as one of my benchmarks. I, I do like it. But yes, I saw the 88.2% and I did like a double take. I was like, did they make a mistake? Like I remember a couple of years ago, there was a mistake in the preseason ratings with Mississippi State, I think, and they had them in the top 10. And they came out and said, hey, you know, we made a mistake. I, I get it, man. My numbers have mistakes in them all the time. I'm always finding things and fixing them. I get it. But 88.2% and they're not backing off that, that is, that's a lot. And I am not sure that I can comfortably be anywhere near that number knowing Ohio State has to go to Michigan and knowing what's happened the last two years in that game. Right, and they'd almost certainly have to beat both Penn State and Michigan. Well, I guess they didn't beat Michigan last year to get in. So I guess they don't have to. And last year they had the win um, at home against Notre Dame. This year that game's on the road. So as long as they get that one and Penn State, you could see it happening again. But again, things had to fall into place for Ohio State last year. Tennessee had to lose Hendon Hooker and, and drop a game late. Uh, Clemson had to drop the game against South Carolina. USC had to lose in the in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah. Like There were multiple other teams that would have been in line ahead of Ohio State if they didn't falter themselves. So yes, Ohio State got in. Yes, losing that game didn't matter for the playoff race. Try telling any fan of that program or those programs that that game didn't matter. Um, but a lot had to happen is my point. So I, I think it's foolish for Ohio State fans to think, oh, you know what, even if we go 11-1 and this year, we'll still get in because we did last year. Counting on all that to happen again, probably not a smart move in my opinion. Yeah, it, I think the, the current national concern surrounding Ohio State, if we're looking for concern, is replacing C.J. Stroud. One of the most accomplished, if not the most accomplished quarterback in Ohio State history from a statistical standpoint. Presumably Kyle McCord rises up. That's not to discount Devin Brown. But I don't really see how this is much, all that much different from replacing Justin Fields with C.J. Stroud. 
because that was a concern too. Justin Fields leaves. CJ Stroud comes in his first ever game at Minnesota. He struggled early and people are like, oh boy, here we go. Well, look how that turned out. Uh, Kyle McCord is a, is a high four-star, former five-star, depending on where you look there. He played with Marvin Harrison Jr. in high school. I think that that report does matter. I, I think that that is something worth mentioning, considering uh, they obviously have the best wide receiver room in the country by a pretty comfortable margin, I think. Uh, Harrison, obviously, he's mentioned he's like pretty much just a home run uh, All-American candidate. Emeka Ibuka is also possibly an All-American candidate here. I wouldn't overlook Julian Fleming either. Pretty tall, pretty fast dude, uh, versatile athlete. Plus, they have five stars in Brandon Innes, Carnell Tate. Like, these are backup guys. These, these are second and third string guys. Cade Stover is also a stud at tight end. Travion Henderson is a threat out of the backfield to pa- uh, catch the ball as well. Obviously, I think they have the most potent passing attack in the country, and I'm not sure that there's really someone that can comfortably rival and say, well, yeah, maybe they are better. No, I think it's Ohio State and then everybody else. My biggest concern is the offensive line. They're replacing a center with a redshirt freshman. Your center has to be the leader, has to be the captain, has to be very, very smart. I have no doubt that their riser is good, uh, but you know the experience is, is what comes with it. You like to see juniors and seniors playing center if possible. Transfer Josh Sermon- Simmons comes in from San Diego State. Uh, he didn't grade very well. I don't know if that's a really great pickup. There's also a new left tackle. You're placing a pair of All-American left tackles. I also want to know if Ryan Day hands over play calling to Brian Hartline. Uh, I kind of hope so. Outside of that Georgia game, I think Ryan Day's play calling was, was fairly cowardly. I don't know who actually was calling the plays in that game. I don't think anybody does or ever will know. Uh, and the defense, I think, will improve under year, uh, in year two Sorry, under Jim Knowles here. They landed two big defensive backs in the portal, return uh, JTT and All-American uh, Tommy Eichenberg. So that's kind of the rundown on Ohio State. But what do you praise for them this year? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, despite Michigan getting the better of the Buckeyes each of the past two years, my numbers still like Ohio State by about a field goal in that game on the road against their arch rivals. So Ohio State has not finished the year power rated outside my top five in more than a decade. And they haven't finished outside the top three since a number five finish in 2018. So USC might be putting up bigger numbers, especially in the first half of the season. I know we'll talk about them in the Pac-12 preview and the schedule they face, especially early on. But this Ohio State unit's number one on the offensive side of the ball in the country for me, even with a new starting quarterback, which I agree is, you know, what, what's happening there, what, who's going to be the guy, how's it going to look. The defense took a step forward in year one under Jim Knowles, and I'm expecting another step forward this year uh, with the defense grading out at number 13 nationally behind only Michigan and Penn State in the division. So the difference between Ohio State and Michigan's schedule is the Buckeyes have to travel to South Bend, like we talked about earlier, to play the Irish in week four. And my numbers currently favor Ohio State by about 10 points in that game. So um, it's not it's a more difficult schedule than Michigan, but not overly difficult given the talent level that Ohio State has. Yeah, I, I do see it as a very difficult schedule. I rank it 15th in the country in terms of strength schedule. Uh, I don't love that stretch that plays Penn State and then has to travel to New Look, Wisconsin. And then I think this one's a little bit underrated. They have to play Minnesota before going to Michigan. Now, Minnesota might be a pretty good warm-up for Michigan, given their physical style and their big offensive line. They may help a little bit uh, prepare for the game. But, man, that's a physical stretch. That front for Ohio State's going to be fairly beat up going into Michigan. It's a body blow theory. You see it against the Armies and the Navies, then they go into those next games kind of beat up. For me... I- I hear you. For me, the, the tricky stretch might be week seven, eight, nine. They're going to Purdue, which any Ohio State fan should be able to remember quite a few upsets uh, in yes. West Lafayette and games that <laughs> Ohio State shouldn't have been in any peril, but ended up losing the game outright. 
that's right before the home game against Penn State. So maybe peeking ahead, right after that Penn State game, have to go on the road to Madison and play uh, maybe the favorite in the West in Wisconsin. So that could be a tr- tricky stretch as well. Um, Ryan Day has navigated all of that at Ohio State really well. I mean, his, his record is, is is very impressive. Buckeyes are the only team to make the CFP three of the past four seasons. But he and Ohio State players are very clear about their goals for the program. Uh, it's win the rivalry game, win the Big Ten, and win the national championship. They're 0 for 6 in the past two years in achieving those goals. So despite the amazing overall record, right or wrong, I believe there's pressure on Ryan Day in Columbus this year. I think you even mentioned earlier um, about what the expectation is. It is kind of hilarious to say that a team with a 45-6 and record uh, with two college football playoff bursts and a national championship appearance is under pressure. Uh, They were a missed targeting call away from being national champions. They would have beaten TCU in that final, hands down. Uh, you know, if Marvin Harrison plays the rest of that game, then, yeah, they, they probably win. They also play a lot better when they're not the favorite. So I kind of like the position they're in situationally coming into this year. If you look at 2014, 2020, and last year, when they're not the team to beat, they play a lot better. Okay, perhaps the third team in the Big Ten East, which this is an interesting discussion because that gap is, uh, boy, it's, it's small this year. I want to talk about Penn State. It's Drew Aller time. As someone that lives in Northeast Ohio, this is a very exciting time for us because he's from Medina, which is about 30 minutes south of Cleveland. Uh, he's a five-star. He's their third-ever five-star quarterback behind Christian Hackenberg and Anthony Morelli. Uh, one had his moments, and the other never really panned out. So hopefully Drew Aller can uh, change this and uh, come in and, and, and be the guy that they hope. They have a dynamic backfield. That seems to be the story with the Big Ten between Ohio State, Michigan. Penn State has a dynamic backfield. Nick Singleton, Katrin Allen. And they also landed Trey Potts, who's a transfer from Minnesota. Pretty experienced, talented player. Uh, Olu Fashanu, he's the best offensive line in college football, hands down. He was a top five prospect in the NFL this past year. Decided to come back to Happy Valley and play out one more season. They added Kent Stays, Dante Cephas at wide receiver. The unit's pretty good. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's as good as it was the past few years. But Dante Sivas can be in alpha number one. They're going to field another stud defense. Kalen King is one of the top corners, top DBs in the nation. Abdul Carter is a legit All-American candidate. Manny Diaz in charge of all that. He led them to seventh in points per drive last year. I mean, that unit is, is one of the best hands down in the nation, I think. I like the schedule. They're staple games. Now, when I say staple games, I don't necessarily mean they're toughest opponents, but maybe toughest situations. West Virginia is an old rival. Don't overlook that game. That's going to be a nasty game. They should beat them. I actually bet that line pretty early at when it was 16 and a half. It's up over 21 now. Uh, but West Virginia staple game, Iowa, Ohio State, and Michigan, they all spread out pretty nicely. There's no clusters. I don't think there's any even really murderer's row stretches in their schedule, and they handle three of those games at home. They are at Ohio State, though. Is this finally the year where we fully buy into Penn State as a national contender? I'll just say on the West Virginia line, first, Brett, I love you got it at 16 and a half. Now it's over 21. My numbers have it at 20 and a half. So I, I love when it, that movement cross makes me, it's just every time we talk about a, t- a game and, and my numbers are right there online, it's just further validation for me. Because again, I'm not really paying much attention to the betting lines given my my day job and what I'm doing in this space. But uh, it's just further validation. So I like hearing that. And I also like where you got it there at, uh, at 16 and a half. That sounds good. But for, for Penn State buying them this year, listen, I've said this many times over the years. Penn State's biggest flaw since basically 2016, has been that it plays in the Big Ten East with Ohio State and Michigan. 
The Nittany Lions have finished in the top 10 of my year-end power ratings five times during that span, topping out as high as number three in 2017. This is a very, very good team year in and year out. And it just so happens that because of the divisions, they have to play two other really, really good teams year in and year out. And so people talk about the SEC West, the Big Ten East in most years is just as competitive, especially at the top of the conference. You're looking at those top two, three teams where the SEC West probably has the advantage as you get farther down than that, looking at teams four, five, six, seven. The Big Ten East has kind of a bottom that the SEC West does not. But at the top end, the Big Ten East is just as competitive as the SEC West by my numbers year in and year out. Coming into this year, though, you said, is this the year to buy them? Penn State's once again a top 10 team. They're number nine coming into the season for me. The defense is projecting as a top five unit nationally, and the offense should be top 15 based on my projections now. If Aller plays up to his five-star status, as you mentioned, this team could make the CFP. I currently have Penn State with a 16% chance, which is the seventh best nationally behind only Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, USC, and of course, Ohio State and Michigan. So once again, those two teams rearing their ugly heads in the Michigan or in the Penn State conversation. I have Penn State favored by at least a touchdown in each of their 10 games against teams not named Ohio State or Michigan, and I have a 57% chance to win 10 plus games. But I currently have the Nittany Lions as a 13-point underdog in Columbus in Week 8, and then a 2-point underdog at home against Michigan in Week 11. I do like um, playing in, in, in Happy Valley, though. I mean, that, that's a real advantage when that crowd gets going. If it's a wideout, if it's at night, I don't know if that's going to be in the cards for this game or that'll be a high noon or a big noon kickoff um, for, for, for Mich- or Penn State and Michigan. But either way, it's difficult to go into Penn State and play a game. Um, if the Nittany Lions can find a way to split those and finish 11-1 and one or better, my numbers give it about a 1-5 in five chance um, that, they'll, that they can do that. Um, that'll be an interesting team for the committee to consider on Selection Sunday. I talked about how you know Michigan's 11-1 out not being in the Big Ten Championship game probably isn't enough. I don't think Penn State's is either, but depending on how that if that's a you know if it's a one point loss at Ohio State as Penn State has done in the past, and then they just run the table everywhere else. They blow out Michigan. They make easy work of West Virginia and Iowa and Michigan State at a neutral site to end the year. I mean, you're probably not getting there, but at least you're in the conversation. So that's where I see Penn State this year. Looking forward, there's probably no program that's going to benefit more from the Big Ten ditching divisions, as I've talked about already next year than Penn State. I mean, for this year, I expect more of the same, but a really, really strong Penn State team once again has to face a really, really strong Ohio State and Michigan teams. These ditching of divisions probably won't benefit any single team more than Penn State moving forward just because they don't have to play those two teams year in and year out. Yeah, I agree with you. I think we'll probably see a huge drop in uh, prices for, for Penn State futures upcoming after they ditch the divisions. Now, you mentioned that going into Happy Valley for Michigan is a really tough thing. If anybody wants a little blood flow and a little excitement, go look up when they forced a uh, timeout early against Michigan a few years back. It was a whiteout. It was at night. The The video of it is like the sky cam, so you don't have the announcers or anything. You just hear Mo Bamba. You hear the student section, and you can kind of hear the whistle before a gigantic cheer because Shea Patterson had to call a timeout. That is one of my bookmark save favorite videos on YouTube. I want to talk about really, really interesting team this year, the Wisconsin Badgers. It's out with the old, in with the new. They hired Luke Fickle, Phil Longo from North Carolina, the offensive coordinator, what should be one of the most dramatic shifts in team identity, not just in the country this year, but potentially in the past few years. They add Tanner Mordecai from SMU. 
They bring in two Cincinnati offensive linemen along with Luke Fickle. Uh, they return the three other starters. Notable, we talk about special teams, very few and far between here, but I'm going to talk about it here. Wisconsin adds Ohio kicker Nathaniel Vacos. He's a true sophomore. He was really reliable last year, so I don't think Wisconsin is going to be losing games on special teams gaps. We talked about upper echelon, bottom echelon when it comes to special teams, the middle, uh, you know, pick and choose or whatever. Interestingly, and this just came through today on our recording, uh, the top two tight ends on the preseason depth charts are just not on the fall roster. No further explanation. They just they just aren't there, I guess. That was 159 snaps for Clay Cundiff, who uh, was not who will not be on this team. Braylon Allen was quoted as being quote excited to not run into nine man boxes anymore. Now that they're actually going to run a modern offense under Phil Longo, a lot of spread stuff. They'll probably again have the best linebacking core in the Big Ten. Uh, three returning starters and their top three tacklers are back. I think losing Jim Leonard hurts, so they may not be to the same heights that they were previously. But I still think they're going to be a very strong and very good unit. I make them for 9.3 wins because they play the second easiest schedule in the Big Ten. They handle Ohio State at home. And they avoid Michigan, Penn State, and Maryland from the east. Wisconsin, they hit in the ground running? Yeah, my numbers suggest so. Uh, yes, Brett, this year. So last year was really bad in Madison. And the Badgers were among my biggest underachievers, winning 2.5 fewer games than I expected. But with a 47% chance to win the division this year, I have Wisconsin as the favorite in the West, even with all this change. Um, And Iowa is the only other team within one uh, conference win in the conference win projections um, of the Badgers. So to me, it's Wisconsin. Iowa then has the outside chance uh, projecting within a game of them. But as you mentioned, there's tons of new. And anytime we have this much turnover on both the roster and the coaching staff, it makes it more difficult to accurately project this team moving forward. So Combine the significant amount of uncertainty uh, that that Wisconsin has going on with the fact that the Big Ten West almost always seems to be a wild race uh, for for better or worse. Um, And I think the 2023 season will be more of the same. Um, You mentioned Wisconsin's easy schedule, and I agree. They have the easiest schedule in the division, and I only have them as underdogs in one game. That's by about two touchdowns at home against Ohio State in Week 9. But there was lots of projected close games, uh, and that means I have the Badgers about 8.8 wins on average, so maybe slightly fewer than you, um, but still the favorites in the West. Uh, The defense should be a top 15 unit nationally. The question, as it usually is with Wisconsin, is can the offense, which I'm projecting in the mid-40s, hold up its end of the deal? It's not quite as extreme as as Iowa's imbalance, but um, definitely in the Iowa mold, you know you're going to get a good defense, and what are you going to get from the offense uh, to me, that's how we're thinking about Wisconsin uh, in August before the season. Personally, if I had to assess, you know, the probability of, of where that offense may finish, I'm almost inclined to lean that it will finish better than those mid-40s. I like Tanner Mordecai a lot. He's thrown for a bajillion yards at SMU. They're bringing the air raid to Wisconsin, maybe a modified version of such that does use Braylon Allen a bit more. Uh, you know, I don't love their wide receivers. They say it's their best wide receiver core in a while. That's not a very high bar to clear. But I think with Tanner Mordecai and Phil Longo, I think that they have a chance to score maybe more points, hopefully, than these preseason projections are uh, are calling for here. And if you want the biggest example of underachievement, you don't even have to watch the game. Just pull up the box score against uh, Washington State. I was at that game. Camp Randall was silent. They were stunned, and it was just frustrating for, for Badgers fans. They fumbled the ball like three times in the red zone uh, to lose that game. And then Washington State went on to do uh, just about nothing. After that, so maybe we thought, ah, yeah, maybe Washington State is okay. No, they, they, that was a bad loss. So that kind of embodies what the 2022 Wisconsin Badgers were. But from Big Ten West to Big Ten West, 
Nebraska, I want to talk about them. They're also undergoing a massive shift. Right off the bat, I took under six and a half wins. It's one of my very few positions I took on the Big Ten this preseason. If you look at Matt Rule's previous stops, who, by the way, I think is a terrific coach. I think he's a terrific hire. If you're using his Carolina Panthers days against him, just remember Nick Saban didn't work out in the NFL either. But his two previous stops, Temple, he took them 10-2 and two in the first year to 6-6, six and six, and then back-to-back 10-win seasons. If you are winning 10 games at Temple, you can do almost anything. Now we go to Baylor, who's 1-11 in his first season, to 7-6, and six, and then 11-3 Big 12 champions. This was in the wake of all of those allegations and the Art Bryles stuff, the stuff I don't even want to talk about on here. He revived that program and turned them into Big 12 champions in three years. So I think he's an awesome hire. But year one, he's not going 10 and five, 10 and 10 and four, right? In the Big Ten. So they added Jeff Sims from Georgia Tech. This may have been a product of the team around him, but he was the single worst QB in EPA with more than 150 snaps last year. The worst. Then he got hurt after seven games. But before then, he only completed 58% of his passes, had five touchdowns on 188 attempts. He only had a 3.3 rushing average. He did not have a good year. He's a good player, maybe. He's a good athlete, but I, I don't know that he's really that great of a quarterback. I'm not as excited for him landing in Nebraska as maybe others are. I actually probably would prefer Casey Thompson if I was a Nebraska fan. But, you know, the coaching staff, they're there. They see it. They know more than I do. And he might fit in better with uh, Marcus Marcus Satterfield's system. They hired him away from South Carolina. I don't think Gamecock fans are too sad to see him go, to be honest. The the general temperature on him was like, yeah, you know what? That's fine. You can go. He's a lot of under center, tight ends. I think that works at Nebraska. I think that can succeed at Nebraska. I don't know if that would necessarily be what South Carolina wants. I think they want a more dynamic offense than that. But Nebraska, their best days were wing T options. So maybe they'll welcome the under center and stuff like that. They also hired Tony white as their defensive coordinator. He ran a pretty decent three, three, five scheme at a Syracuse. It's interesting. It's tough. It's multiple. The numbers weren't outstanding, but he's also working with a lot less talent at Syracuse than you'll get at Nebraska. So what's your assessment of the corn Huskers in year one under Matt rule? Yeah. So for me, I'm going to go back a couple of years in 2021, Nebraska was the best three and nine team of all time. For my numbers. So take that for whatever it's worth. Best three and nine team ever by the numbers. And there were signs in place that there'd be a big step forward last year. Instead, it was a nightmare in Lincoln, as we all know. Um, Scott Frost gets fired. The Huskers won three and a half fewer games than I expected, making them the fourth biggest underachievers of 2022 behind only Miami, Northern Flo- Northern Illinois, excuse me, and Southern Florida. So that's the context and background for this. But I love the Matt Rule hire, like you said. You hit the nail on the head with the turnaround jobs he's done previously in college. And I fully expect he's going to do the same at Nebraska. But like you said, it might not happen in year one. You said you took the under six and a half. I have a 60% chance that Nebraska wins six or fewer games. So I'm, I'm on that side with you there. Um, we talked about how Penn State will benefit from the Big Ten ditching divisions in 2024. I think all teams in the West, particularly Nebraska, will be hurt by it. Um, much like on the ACC episode, we talked about the coastal teams maybe being hurt uh, by the ditching of divisions there. Uh, the Big Ten West has been, on average, significantly weaker than the Big Ten East. So getting rid of that kind of auto spot in the championship game is going to hurt them moving forward. But I still think eight to nine wins will be the new normal under Matt Rule once he gets going um, and has the, the machine rolling in Lincoln as he did at Temple and at Baylor. 
Historically, eight to nine wins hasn't been good enough for Nebraska fans. I know that. I mean, all you have to do is look at Frank Solich and Bo Pelini, who were consistently winning, you know, 10 plus games, and even that wasn't enough. But I think in this new world of college football, Nebraska really needs to take a look in the mirror and maybe make peace with eight to nine wins annually. And, you know, once every few years, making a run at the Big Ten championship game. That's, to me, how I would view it. I know Nebraska fans probably aren't there, but I think that's the realistic expectation. And I think if anyone has the ability to overachieve relative to those on a consistent basis, it's Matt Rule. Because we've seen him do it at Temple and Baylor, two programs that certainly don't have the historical significance that Nebraska does. So he has that going for him now. Um, I'm excited to see what it looks like. Probably not going to be a huge step forward this year in terms of of wins and what we're looking at um, and, and, you know, making bowls and all of that. I, st- I still do have a 66% chance to make a bowl this year, which coming off a four-win year is progress. We're just not quite there uh, reaching the ceiling in year one. But as we've shown, year two, year three, that's when I'll make the jumps. Well, it, it, making a bowl game should be huge progress because they haven't done that since 2016. They haven't even won more than five games you know, but once, or they, they won five games once since 2018. I hope coming off that Scott Frost disaster that, you know, eight to nine wins is like, yeah, we, we've come a long way. I think there were two real pinnacle moments in uh, modern Nebraska football when they were blown out, what was it, 62 to three against Ohio State, right, on national TV when they were ranked, I think, 17. They, they were in the top 20. They get blown out 62-3. And then when Scott Frost called that onside kick uh, in Ireland against Northwestern, I think those are the two kind of measuring sticks of where Nebraska football is at right now. So winning eight or nine games, I would be thrilled. I'm not a Nebraska fan, so I can't speak for them, but I would be thrilled if that was now my new normal because the, the previous normal was Scott Frost and going 0-9 in one score games, getting blown out by 59 points on national TV. You know, it's perspective, and you would hope that they would have enough sense to be like, if Matt Rule pulls up, uh, pulls us up to nine wins, we're keeping them for a long time. Uh, staying in the Big Ten West, I want to talk about Iowa. Is there a reason to believe this Iowa team won't just be the same as we've gotten? The excellent defense, bad offense, but wins a ton of games because Big Ten West. Short answer is no, Brett. I'm projecting this as the best defense in the nation yet again and the number 90 offense. Um, even with that, projecting, you know, eight wins on average, Iowa really just needs the offense to have a pulse to be able to make a run to Indy in this final year of divisions. Uh, they haven't gotten it in recent years. Um, I, I don't know why we'd expect this year to be any different, uh, but certainly we're going to find out. Is that 90th ranking ballparking, is that enough to keep uh, Brian Ferentz employed? <laughs> the 25 <laughs> points per game or whatever it is? I think it's a deeper conversation uh, given the the ties that he had, the family ties he has to the program and his standing there. Listen, if they win, if Iowa wins 10 games and they look ugly doing it, it's going to be hard to, to, to make changes. Um, and that's right now what my numbers kind of, kind of like them in, in 10 games that they're playing, not by a ton in many of those, but I, that's, that's a complicated question given the, the Ferentz name that he has. I know most people have wanted to see him go already he hasn't. Everyone laughs at the new incentives that he has in the contract. It is what it is. It's a part of the story. But if he can find a way, if the defense can play up to the way the standard they've set, and he can find a way to just win every game by one, then it won't matter. They do return 16 starters this year. 
uh, five starters on the offensive line. That does include a transfer coming in. Uh, all Mac, Rusty Feth. He should be like their sixth rotating offensive line. He was listed as a starter in preseason. Uh, not listed as a starter on their fall uh, roster, though. They did add Cade McNamara as well from Michigan, who was beat out by J.J. McCarthy. By all accounts, a good-ish quarterback. Serviceable, perfectly fine. Definitely an upgrade over what they had last year in Spencer Petras or whoever they trod out there. They also land four-star Caleb Brown. He's a wide receiver from Ohio State, one of those blue chippers who just didn't have a spot on the roster, so he goes to Iowa, who lost all of their receivers. Eric All also come in, uh, comes in from Michigan. He's a tight end, pretty good, pretty athletic guy. Kate McNamara has good rapport with him. Uh, wide receivers are a serious concern. When haven't they been at Iowa? You know, they, you have some talent, but that's not going to make or break their season, I don't think. They have to replace Jack Campbell at linebacker, which is really important. Uh, but they, d- I think, did a good job by bringing in all ACC selection Nick Jackson from Virginia. They have Cooper DeJean at uh, corner, who's just the next, you know, Riley Moss. Like, he's All-American. The typical All-American uh, corner that Iowa can always count on having. Defensive line, again, should be one of the best in the conference. Uh, I make them for 8.2 wins. I think they have the easiest schedule in the Big Ten. My numbers say that they do. Their biggest out-of-conference is a rivalry at Iowa State. However, recent news with Iowa State suggests that Iowa should win that game because they probably won't have their starting quarterback or maybe anybody. We'll see how deep that goes with the the NCAA betting investigation. Uh, We have to let that play out, though. No Ohio State, no Michigan, no Maryland. They avoid three of the top four teams from the East. Uh, They only play four true road games, and one of those is an hour away from campus and, again, against a, a potentially decimated Iowa State team. So where do you kind of fall on this Iowa team? Yeah, even with the offensive deficiencies, Iowa had a win and in opportunity last year at the end of the regular season at home against Nebraska. They win that game, you're in the Big Ten Championship. Of course, they don't. Purdue goes in their place. Um, I have a 30% chance for Iowa to make the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, That's second best in the West. I have them as the second best team in the West. They're only underdogs in two games, like I mentioned, 12 and a half points at Penn State in week four and six points at Wisconsin in week seven. So that game at Wisconsin, if I was able to win that one, things look a lot differently. And maybe you can drop a, a game down the road that you didn't expect you'd be able to to still have a chance to make it to Indy. So the offense should be better. I mentioned number 90 coming into this year. They were sub 100 last year, but I, I kind of, I need to see it to believe it. Um, and we'll, we'll see. Uh, Iowa, they have a way of tricking the numbers sometimes. Um, I'm very careful about how I weight offense versus defense um, strengths in the model as a whole. Iowa, as we talked about um, previously w- with uh, with a couple of, with Duke and the ACC podcast, you know Duke, South Carolina, Iowa, they have a, a way of, of overachieving and being above average consistently on special teams. So if they're able to keep that going, it helps cover up some of those offensive deficiencies. But to me. Second best team in the West, second best chance to make the championship game out of the West. That game against Wisconsin is going to be absolutely huge um, in week, week seven. And it's sandwiched between two home games against West opponents, Purdue and Minnesota. So um, either of those could be tricky ones for Iowa this year. Let's be clear about that win and in though. Purdue, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Minnesota, and Illinois all had a chance to be winning in in that final week. It was, it was a fun was... run to the season. No one wanted it. They all lost. It, that's why I, I mentioned earlier, it's it's always interesting in the Big Ten West, that race, but good or bad, it's always interesting to keep people on the edge of their seats till the very end. I uh, 
I mentioned in the ACC podcast how getting rid of divisions, I think, is, is the right move for conferences, and I certainly agree that it's the right move for the Big Ten. But it will be sad to see the Big Ten West go away because of the uh, the drama and the uh, no, you take it, no, you take it that we've seen from some of those teams over the years. But uh, for Penn State and, and for other Big Ten East teams especially, uh, it's a really good thing, and I think it's best for the overall competitiveness of the conference as it moves to 16 teams in 2024. Yeah, I mean, to be fair with the pass and the buck, I, I wouldn't want to play Michigan-Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship either. I think I'd rather take the same bowl game that you were going to get anyway without playing them. And I know Purdue lost a lot after that Big Ten Championship game in their head coach stuff, but then they lost 63-7, to what seven, I think it was, to LSU in the bowl game. So it's kind of like, hey, yeah, I think we'd prefer to get a lesser bowl. Um, okay, to close this out, just so that we have... Every team mentioned in some capacity, I want to do a rapid fire buy or sell. We did this on the ACC. It's just kind of in a scope of, are you buying where the program's at right now compared to reasonable expectation compared to maybe what they did last year or just in general, it's kind of vague. I want to keep it vague uh, on purpose. I want to start with Maryland. Are you buying or selling? I'm going to, I'm going to sell Maryland. I know that's not popular with the public perception. Oh, no. I've, I had them 35 into last year. I got them 46 coming into this year. Um, I, I think they might they might have a good chance to have as many wins as they did last year, but a slightly worse team. So uh, I'm going to sell Maryland. Yeah, you, you have a way better argument for it because you're using your year-end numbers on that. I'm, I'm actually going to buy them, but I'm going to buy them specifically because they play Penn State before Penn State plays Michigan. They play Michigan between the Penn State and Ohio State games. Uh, the odds of them coming up and actually biting one of these teams, or at least against the spread, making it a lot tighter than it needs to be. Maryland's done that in the past. I like their quarterback. Uh, I'm actually going to buy them. Michigan State, th- this one should be easy. 2021 was great. 2022 was terrible. Buying Michigan State, expect them to be a better team this year. 48 to end the year last year, 45 coming in this year. Expect them to win more games this year than they did last as well. Uh, so I'm buying Michigan State. I'm selling them. I think they're a disaster. They lost their starting quarterback and best player to the portal. I think Mel Tucker was one of the worst extensions uh, potentially in college football history. I am going to put that out there. Um, I think Michigan State's just a wreck. Uh, Rutgers. Rutgers, for me, another one I'm going to buy. Finished last year 98, coming into this year number 83. Uh, Certainly a team that I think is going to benefit from not having to play Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State every single year. Uh, I'm going to buy Rutgers as a better team this year than last. I'll also buy Rutgers. Uh, eight returning starters on defense. A defense that should be really good. Uh, their quarterback situation is a disaster, but when you hold teams like 15 points, uh, that's pretty good. I, I, I will buy Rutgers. Indiana. I'll buy Indiana ever so slightly. 80th last year, 79 coming into this year. Listen, it's the seventh most difficult schedule in the entire country, so the wins probably aren't going to add up. I've only got a 9% chance to go bowling. Um, but I think there'll be a very, very, very slightly better team than last year. I'd probably push on this, but I have to do buy or sell. I'll buy them. I will sell. Uh, I, I'm not sure that Tom Allen is still the head coach of this team uh, by the end of the year. Illinois. I'm going to sell Illinois. They were big overachievers for me last year. Top 10 overachieving team. Um, finished last year inside my top 25 power rating. Coming into this year, number 41. That's still you know one of the best Illinois teams in the last decade plus. But in terms of last year versus this year, I will sell them as being a worse team. I'm buying the direction of the program, though. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I will sell this year, but I will buy the the program direction. I do like Luke Altmaier, though. Uh, I was on the soapbox saying he's better than Jackson Dart. I may have been a little bit over my skis on that one, but now we get to see him as a full-on starting quarterback at Illinois, plus Jerzon Newton, absolute monster up front, All-American candidate. Uh, Minnesota. 
Last two years, Minnesota's been top 30 team for me, top 25 team for me, year-end power ratings. This year, they come in number 31. Um, so still a really good team and still should be happy, I would think, with the where the program is currently. But I'm going to sell them as a worse team this year than last. Athen Calicomanis. If I pronounce that correctly, I'm buying the Minnesota program for this year. I think they're going to be all right. I liked uh, their lands in the portal. Sean Tyler, Corey Crooms. Defense should be pretty good. Uh, there's not a lot of expectation on them. I think that's why I'm buying them for this year. Northwestern. Northwestern last year won one game. They were one of my biggest underachievers in the entire country. Coming into this year with blinders on, I'd buy it as they're going to be a better team. Can't have blinders on. There's a lot of things going on around that program right now. I have no other choice but to sell it because of what's happening around that program. I have no idea. Maybe they'll galvanize. Maybe they'll they'll come together, they'll play really well, and they'll win a bunch of games. It's hard to say right now. On the surface, I think it's a better team than last year, but there's so much uncertainty around that program. I have to sell it. Yeah, I also have to sell. They play three straight games off of bye weeks at uh, Nebraska, Maryland, and that Iowa game that's being played at Wrigley. Uh, net two, minus two rest on that. You know, they're bringing up FCS coordinator. Could be really good. Uh, you know, you see NDSU guys come up like Chris Kleiman and succeed. But to go from FCS coordinator to power five head coach in a year in a, in a league like the Big Ten, yeah, I, I have to sell them. And finally, Purdue. Hate to do it to my alma mater. Finished last year number 49. New coaching staff coming in. Could be good for the future, but projecting 53rd this year. They are the number one offense in the West. They have the worst defense in the West, though. Um, This team faces the most difficult collection of opposing FBS defenses in the entire country. No team plays week in and week out more difficult opponents' defenses than Purdue. Have to sell Purdue this year um, in 2023. I'm with you. I will sell them. I think that's a very strong argument for it. Well, thanks everyone for listening. If you have not already, hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 other sports betting fans, get live updates in the College Football Channel, and join a very sharp and very active now community now that we are rolling into August. It is officially, officially College Football season. Don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for daily sports betting strategy videos and comment your thoughts. If you want to subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, whatever you're listening to on, we are over there as well at The Lines. Kelly, before we get out of here, please let everyone listening know where they can find your work. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or on X at KFord Ratings. You can find me on my website, kfordratings.com. So excited to be a part of The Lions College Football Podcast with you, Brett. It's going to be a great year. We are very excited to have you as well, Kelly. Thank you, as always, for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That is Kelly Ford, and we'll see you all next time.